In this episode of Syscast, I talk to Nils de Moore about Docker and using containers in your infrastructure as both a sysadmin and a developer. This is Syscast, episode 2. Hi there, and welcome to the second episode of Syscast, the podcast where we talk Linux, sysadmin stuff, and web development in general. Uh, today, I uh, am very happy to have the guest, uh, Nils de Moore. He will be talking to us about Docker and everything related to Docker. Um, hi, Nils. How are you? Hi. Uh, I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. Thanks for coming here. Um, I first um, got to know you by the Docker Bel- uh, the Belgium Docker user group. Um, I think that's probably what you're uh, most known for. Could you introduce yourself? Uh, what What do you do in day day business? How did you get started with the Docker user group? Sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, uh, I'm Nils, uh, and I uh, I think five years ago I co-founded a company called WooRank. Um, so we're based in Brussels. And um, in a nutshell, uh, we built a software as a service tool for basically for marketing and, and web agencies, so market online marketers basically. Um, and with our tool, um, we try to offer uh, a system where they can easily monitor their websites or just their brands in general uh, on their online presence. So how are these uh, brands moving in Google, on what keywords? Uh, how is social media looking at them? Um, are all the basics correct? Like, uh, is, is my HTML um, correctly built up uh, for Google, for instance, or Google bots to make them easily uh, accessible? Um, so that's that's the kind of tool we built and uh, and uh, sell uh, for monthly and, and, and yearly subscriptions. And so I'm the CTO. Um, since the beginning, uh, uh, the technical co-founder, and I've seen the company uh, grow from yeah, just three people, so the three of us who started the company, to uh, we're now about uh, 25 people, so you know, still uh, a small uh, company, uh, but already significant enough, and especially uh, we're kind of tech-heavy, uh, like half of it is, is uh, tech, uh, uh, yeah, tech profiles. Um, so it's already significant enough to, and yeah, I'm speaking a couple of years ago, to, to have the right tools at hand, uh, to make workflows for everyone, uh, so not only technical people, obviously, but for everyone, easy to work. So, um, in terms of uh, developing uh, applications um, locally on a machine, pushing them uh, to a test and a production environment, uh, onboarding someone new, so making sure that uh, within a couple of hours, uh, this person can easily uh, get started in 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 yeah, building our applications. So. Uh, these are things that are really key to me. It's yeah, it's my job, obviously, uh, and that I've been yeah, trying to 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 find the right tools for. And uh, Docker was uh, was one of them when it uh, kind of popped up, I guess, three years ago, and and got a lot of traction from the beginning. And and we were, uh, I guess, one of the early users in 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 production, and and we're still are uh, and never uh, regretted this choice. Okay, I'm glad to hear. Um, so you've been running Docker for quite a while. I think perhaps one of the reasons you may have started the, the Belgium um, Docker user group, um, which you're now the, what's the name, chairman? Organizer. Uh, organizer. Yeah. <laughs> chairman sounds too CEO-like. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that group has grown tremendously in the last three years. I, I think last time you mentioned uh, over a thousand members already. Yeah, um, indeed. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Um, so I invited you here to talk about Docker. Um, could you describe Docker in the most simple explanation you can find? What yeah. is Docker? Yeah, sure. So um, Docker basically, um, it's, and, and, and um, I'm going to prepend uh, my answer by the fact that um, Docker is, is, is not a crazy new ID. Uh, basically what Docker has done uh, is take uh, primitives like Linux kernel primitives that already existed for years and kind of build a nicer tool around that to make it uh, accessible and and usable for people who are not experts in Linux uh, kernel, Linux commands, uh, and stuff like that. So they they basically build a wrapper around uh, that makes it easy for developers, operations, uh, like full technical teams to easily work with applications, databases, uh, workers, like, yeah, processes, 
to run them and to push them um, into uh, the many environments that the company has. So what does Docker do? Uh, basically, it will uh, isolate uh, or will allow you to isolate applications from each other. So if I want to run uh, a Node application next to a Java and next to a Python application, and let's throw in uh, a DB, a Postgres uh, uh, database into the mix, I can easily run them uh, on one uh, computer, so on one operating system. So it can be on a virtual machine, but within one operating system. So I, I, I don't have to allocate a full operating system to one application, but I, I can run those applications uh, within one operating system, and they won't interfere with each other. So they're nicely isolated from each other. Uh, they don't know about each other, and they won't uh, get in the way of each other. Um, that's one important part. So it it's, it's isolates things. And in the other hand, it also makes it really easy uh, to automate. Uh, so if I, uh, I wear my operations hat uh, and I want to push out a new, uh, uh, yeah, as I said, it's, uh, there's a new Postgres version, uh, I can easily, in an automatable way, update uh, this container that I'm running. So this Postgres container that I'm running on server X uh, I can very easily automate to run this new version, again, without interfering with the rest. Um, and on top of that, yeah, it, 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 it also makes things versionable because uh, I, can, I, can um, I can write the things that need to be, the configuration that needs to be done. Uh, and, and if tomorrow I make a change that's breaking, it allows me to easily roll back to my previous version that I'm sure, okay, this, this was a thing that worked. So uh, those are the key things, I guess, uh, so Docker makes, yeah, simplicity is probably the, the, the best word. So it makes it really simple for, for everyone in a team, in a technical team and among technical teams to understand. It's versionable and it isolates everything nicely from each other. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, if I, I look at Docker, I, um, as you mentioned, it's not something new, but it's a more convenient way to use existing tools. Um, in in a way, it's been in um, it's been improving on what uh, tools like OpenVZ have done for years, running multiple containers on a single machine, but just taking it to the next level with a lot more stability and more of an ease of mind um, approach to it. Mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned um, that it, it's easy to use. In a way, I agree, and at the same time, it's very hard to get into, um, especially if you're either a, a developer with a, a bit of um, knowledge behind the terminal. Um, Getting started with Docker, I, I find it's, it's a bit of a burden. It's having to overcome some kind of mental barrier um, where you no longer have a single server that runs everything, but have several well, microservices is, is perhaps the, the wrong term if you're thinking of databases, but smaller isolated machines that are running containers in this case. Um, and I think that that's one of the hardest things to get started with Docker. It's getting your head around the concepts of Docker. Um, if, if we... Look at that. Let's take a classic um, LAMP stack. The, the, let's say you're running a WordPress website. Mm -hmm. How would you go about doing that with Docker setup in mind? Okay. So, um, yeah, uh, speaking as someone who's been uh, working with Docker in three years, uh, yeah, I've seen a lot of improvements and especially uh, uh, putting myself in, in, in uh, beginner shoes. Uh, I can't uh, imagine anymore uh, how I felt about Docker. But So I've, I've, I've seen the... the the, the tool, uh, let's call it, uh, grow over the years. And um, it, I understand what you're saying. So there's, and especially probably since it's, it, it's grown uh, so quickly and so many bells and whistles have been added on top of that, um, it, it indeed might look a bit daunting to, to get started with. But um, the good thing is that I must say that the, the documentation they provide is, uh, is is yeah, really complete. Like it's 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 it takes you by the hand and and it will guide you along the way of, of setting up your first container and then building up from there. And uh, one of the nice improvements that have been done over the I'd say yeah last year maybe a bit, maybe a bit longer uh, is that uh, Docker also kept adding new tools um, into their ecosystem. And uh, for instance, one of the tools is, is uh, Docker Machine, which uh, is kind of a yeah, 
provisioning kind of light uh, configuration management tool that will um, make it really easy to have a host. It can be a server, it can be your laptop, uh, it can be a, a VM, doesn't matter, uh, but a host uh, to be able to, or to make sure that that host can run Docker. So that Docker is installed without even having to know too much about that host. Like uh, what Linux distribution doesn't care, the, the tool will figure that out uh, for itself. Uh, again, my local machine or something uh, that's installed uh, in the US or in Australia, it doesn't matter, Docker machine, uh, you just run one command against that host or a group of hosts even. You can say, okay, here are uh, thousands of uh, servers in my AWS account, uh, make sure they all run Docker. So that's one tool. Docker machine uh, allows you to do that uh, very simply. Then another one, and then, uh, so, uh, Docker machine was, let's say, more on the, the, the ops side, wearing the ops hat. Um, when we flip over to uh, the development side of things, so we switch our hat. Um, so you mentioned a WordPress application, so there will be uh, a PHP part, so an application uh, that runs PHP code. Uh, there will be uh, a My, uh, MySQL database. Um, there will be uh, an Apache in front of that. Uh, maybe uh, something like a log shipping uh, container because I want my logs to be uh, centralized somewhere. So you have this, this stack of application, maybe even a cache. Let's throw in a cache, a memcache. So uh, let's say we have four to five different uh, components of this application. Um, well, there's a, a second tool that is natively provided uh, with Docker these days. So when you install uh, Docker, uh, you get it uh, for free and it's called Docker Compose. And uh, what Docker Compose allows you to do is uh, very simply in uh, a YAML file is define your full application and say, okay, I have my application container. So that's my PHP code. Um, it needs to run uh, this uh, PHP container. Okay, then underneath I define my, uh, my SQL and I say, okay, oh yeah, my, my SQL, sorry. Uh, and I say uh, within the part of my application container, okay, and uh, link on the network to my MySQL container. So the kind of service discovery, like the, the very basic light service discovery, already happens within that part. So you don't have to configure too much within your containers. You can just uh, define it in that Docker Compose file, container A uh, connects to container B, and that's it. And so so on. So uh, your, your log shipping container, you can all in, within that same file. So in the end, uh, you end up with a file that defines your four, five, whatever applications. And then it's just a matter of uh, writing Docker Compose up in your command line tool. And Docker Compose will then see, okay, I have to run all these applications. What are the dependencies? Which one will come first? But in the end, it will run all the, the containers. Uh, that you've defined, make sure they connect to each other on network, uh, add in some volume here and there maybe, and within a couple of seconds, uh, you have your full application stack running on your local machine by just running uh, one, one uh, command line uh, uh, command. Okay, so Docker Compose is the um, so, sort of the build tool that you would use in order to have not one Docker up, but multiple Docker instances that would work together. No, sorry, um, I, I probably didn't make myself clear there. So Docker Compose is, is purely, uh, will purely define uh, an application stack. Now, the thing is, uh, and then uh, we dig uh, even further into the ecosystem. So uh, at its, in its most basic form, it will just run uh, whatever I just said on my local machine. So all the containers on my local machine, they connect to each other and I can start uh, develop, developing on that application. Now, when, uh, as you say, okay, let's bring this to production now. So we have uh, a, bunch of, uh, a bunch of servers, a bunch of instances, doesn't matter where, it can be a cloud provider, it can be on-premise, uh, bare metal, doesn't matter. I want to run my application in there. Then there's a third tool uh, that uh, Docker uh, has thrown in the mix, and that's Docker Swarm. And in Docker Swarm, Docker Swarm is basically a, an orchestrator. So um, again, with simple CLI tools, you can say, okay, all these servers underneath me here, I'm gonna throw them all in a bag, and I just want them to act as uh, resources, and I don't even 
care or want to know uh, what runs uh, on what machine, but I can instruct my Docker Compose file so I can kind of extend my Docker Compose file uh, that I have for my local machine. I can add some, some extra parameters on top saying, okay, I want my PHP application to run in at least uh, five containers and on, yeah, preferably within this data center so I, I can tag servers uh, by data center um, with this CPU and memory provisioning. And you can shoot that uh, Docker Compose file then into Docker Swarm, and Docker Swarm will orchestrate that for you and will make sure uh, to look for servers that have cap capacity available. So you ask, for instance, for your, uh, your, your MySQL, okay, it needs at least two gigabytes of memory, then Docker Swarm will look, okay, underneath me here, I have all these servers, which one has two gigabytes free? Uh, uh, server X, okay, I'm going to deploy the container there and I have to deploy the application containers so I'm going to distribute them here, here and here. And so that's where Docker Compose and Docker Swarm kind of work together to make sure that the application as you have built it on your local machine then get pushed into a production environment and are yeah, like deployed in a kind of a, a redundant way. Again, in the way you define them, obviously. But uh, it's kind of a you create a superset on top of your simple Docker Compose file that you uh, have, uh, or that you use in your uh, local environment. I love how the way that you you talk about this. You make it sound all so easy. At the same time, I'm very sure that there are listeners here who may have heard about Docker but have never played with it and are thinking, "Holy crap, that sounds complex! All I want to do is run a website." Um, so I think the, the the example of hosting a WordPress website is uh, probably not the best one to run in a Docker instance. Um, I think the use case where you are using it for um, to go out and scrape websites, run them through analytics and generate reports, having an entire business built on top of it makes a lot more sense than just um, running a, a simple LAMP stack on top of Docker. Um, because do Docker, uh, the, perhaps part of the introduction that we may have missed here, um, the, the the very moment that you run a Docker instance, um, you either uh, download so, some sort of base box that it was built on top of. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Then that could be either built on, say, uh, an Ubuntu or a CentOS or a very, um, very minimal installation of another distribution. Yeah. Um, that sort of, it, you can't say that it's virtualized because it isn't virtualized as such, um, but it's run in some sort of virtual instance on each on, on your server on your laptop on your on your computer or whatever yeah. um, and on top of that the applications are running so if you're looking at um, uh, if you want to run multiple PHP versions if you want to test as like you mentioned multiple Postgres versions Docker makes a lot of sense because you can run them next to each other whereas in a well, classical distribution usually if you apt-get install a MySQL or a Postgres it's very hard um, to run a second instance next to it um, so from that point of view, I think Docker makes a lot of sense. Docker Compose, Docker Swarm, I think those are all tools you, you, you've been using, I think, for a couple of years now. Um, if you're just getting started with Docker, um, is, is Docker Swarm or Docker Compose something you would actively run into? Or is that something that feels more of a particular niche, a, a problem that you're, you're yep. hitting but cannot easily solve with the, with the basic tools? Okay, so um, yeah, this, uh, that's kind of a, a long question that I indeed, uh, maybe for, for context, very briefly, um, you said virtualization, and in the end, Docker is not virtualization indeed, um, but con concepts are quite similar, even the terminology they use, so uh, basically what you do is, in Docker, is also as you said, you, have a, you, start, you always start from a Docker image, and a Docker image is basically something that either a uh, yeah, official provider, it can be Ubuntu, it can be CentOS, uh, it can be one level higher, I'd say, like Node, PHP, they also build images then on top of, of, of Ubuntu or whatever uh, Linux uh, distribution they want underneath. So uh, you build images. But the thing is that uh, the difference with virtualization is the fact that in virtualization, you uh, kind of yeah, like cut a server in... A couple of parts and, and really install full operating systems next to each other while in the docker world um, that doesn't happen like you just have one operating system as base layer 
and you run from those images containers on that same uh, on that same operating system. So you don't have the the overhead of, of a full operating system layer. Uh, you just have one operating system as your base layer, and containers run all on the same, but isolated, so they don't interfere with each other. Um, so, yeah, trickling a bit further, like if if you're like if the question or, or the, the initial question, I guess, was like, yeah, for you, it makes sense huh, in, in, in your company because you do a lot of stuff. Does, would it make sense for someone uh, just just playing around and, and building his, his small website? And I am one fully 100 percent. I'd say yes, because, for instance, one of the things I almost never do anymore is install things on my computer. Um, Note switches version like every hour, I think. Um, yes, and, and it, yes. probably, uh, I mean, yeah, and, and that's the ecosystem I know best, but I, I'm, I'm fed up with always installing uh, specific uh, node specific uh, kind of tools to make sure versions can be switched. No, I just, if, if, um, if someone in my team is, is uh, running or, or is building his application against Node, I don't know what version number uh, they are today, and uh, another developer is working on another application or building another application in another version. I can easily run those two on my same machine. So if, if uh, for instance, uh, last week uh, I had to write uh, some kind of data job, which usually is, is much easier in Python. I, don't, I, I didn't install Python uh, on my computer. I just uh, pull in the Docker, uh, the official Docker Python image, and I wrote all my code in Python on, in, in my Sublime, nicely on my, on my computer here. And then I just do uh, Docker run Python uh, with my script. And it's running without me having to install anything. Like it's installed in a container. And then when I'm done with my job and I don't actually need Python anymore for a couple of days or weeks, uh, I just throw away the container and there's no trace on my computer that I ever run uh, a Python uh, application. So it really keeps my, actually my, my, my local environment uh, very, very sane because, yeah, throwing around with dependencies here and there uh, has always been a nightmare. Now it's just, okay, I want MySQL, I want Postgres, I want Memcache, just install the container. When I'm done with my experience, I throw, exper uh, experiment, sorry, uh, I throw them away and my, my system keeps clean. So, and you haven't had to to mess around multiple repositories and and the the version hell that you mentioned. No, uh, exactly. Yeah, indeed. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, if I have to run multiple versions next to each other, it's no problem because the containers. I mean, they don't look into each other, so they don't care. And then um, to finally uh, go, it, yeah, at uh, the the actual question is like, okay, uh, if today you want to start with Docker, um, well. Yeah, first of all, I'd say just just go to the getting started in the docs. It's it's really really uh, very well explained and, and and takes you by the hand of of uh, running that first container and going further. But the tools you'll definitely run into is yeah, obviously Docker itself, and they call it Docker Engine now, by the way, uh, to use the right uh, terminology. So Docker Engine is the yeah the 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 core of Docker, uh, the, the the actual demon that runs on your system. Um, so that will obviously need. And then um, Docker Machine and Docker Compose are also tools you, you should, from the beginning, learn how to work with. Uh, Docker Machine, well, again, in the getting started, they will probably tell you to use that to install uh, whatever it is, uh, a Mac machine, a Windows machine, a Linux machine, doesn't matter. Uh, with Docker Machine, you can easily do that. And then Docker Compose. Uh, it's usually a file in whatever application you have. You have a Docker Compose file that kind of de defines the, the stack that you're, uh, that you're building at that time. So you will um, actually more often, especially on a local machine, uh, interface way more with Docker Compose because you always yeah, uh, want to work with your full stack, uh, I guess. Um, and Docker is really uh, only yeah, container by container. So that's why Docker Compose makes more sense in a kind of application development uh, way. So those yeah, Docker Engine, Docker Machine, and Docker Compose are the, the three tools you will always uh, uh, be working with. Okay, that makes sense indeed. Um, by default, unless I'm mistaken, if you run a Docker instance and you decide to stop the instance, 
um, any data that was written in the in the instance i log files written to quote unquote local disk um, if you've uploaded a file if a database has been written whatever if you stop that docker instance the the persistent storage behind it is gone that's right by default um okay so um they're stopping and killing huh? that's that's uh, that's for a fact and um this has indeed been uh yeah a topic of many discussion uh for yeah, already almost three years now and still ongoing so persistent data is in the docker world seen as a problem but it, it doesn't have to be um the thing is indeed um Docker containers are not very tangible in a way that indeed if you stop it and throw it away you lose the data and Docker is such an easy tool to work with to start stop and throw away containers that indeed if, if you don't pay attention you just throw away a MySQL uh, container uh, with, yeah, full with data just like that within one command so that's what probably scares most people now on the other hand there are primitives and, and, and tools around Docker to uh, make sure that data can be pers uh, persistent. First of all, you can add a volume, you can mount a volume of a, the, the system it's running on into a container, saying that, okay, let's say in the case of a MySQL database, uh, the data folder I mount as a volume, meaning that every file that the con within the container, so if, if, if I connect to the database uh, which runs in the container, uh, every piece of data that's written will then be written on the mounted volume, meaning that it will end up on the host that's sitting underneath. So that's the, the simplest form of making sure that, okay, if the, the container goes away, at least the data is written on, on the, the, host, uh, the host instance, the host server, so it, it isn't gone. And then if I uh, run a new, container, new MySQL container and I mount that same data volume, I will just be back in service as I was before. That's, by the way, a, a very uh, well-known kind of update mechanism you can put in place. If, if you have to, obviously, you have to be careful with backwards compatibility, but if I have to go from uh, one MySQL version to another one, I can just throw the container away. Well, make sure that the data is written to the underlying host, so to a mounted volume, throw away a container with the old version, uh, bring in a container with a new version, sync that to the same da uh, data folder, so mount that same data folder within, and I'm running MySQL with my original data as a new version. That's um, probably the, the easiest way to do a MySQL upgrade indeed. So yes. the, that, that kind of um, shared storage where you, you mount the host's file system uh, or, or directory on the host inside of a container, it's best comparable to what Vagrant by, by default does with a, a Vagrant directory that you exactly. mount from, say, your Mac yeah. or your Windows. Same, yeah. same idea. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, to take it uh, even further, because, yeah, we're uh, all about, everything is all about cloud-native apps. So let's say, okay, uh, it's easy to play around with containers and I want to throw them from one server to another. Obviously, that's something that, I mean, uh, with the native volume mounting is, is, isn't easily solved because yeah, if the container moves from one uh, hardware instance to another one, well, the data needs to follow, obviously, because otherwise, yeah, if, if I uh, boot it, uh, the container somewhere else, I start a container somewhere else, I mount it to a volume, the data is not there, okay, it's an empty uh, database. So uh, that's why... Um, Docker has uh, made its volume drivers uh, pluggable, meaning that uh, third-party providers, and there are, all, there are already a few uh, big ones that are backed by a lot of money, uh, that are working on systems where uh, the data can follow the container. So if I say I kick out a container on one host and I boot it uh, on a new one, um, there are mechanisms to have your data follow that container. And yeah... The mechanisms, there, there's plenty, and it, it really depends on, on, on yeah, what kind of infrastructure you're deployed. For instance, on, on uh, Amazon Cloud, on AWS, uh, those plugins can say, okay, uh, the network disk attached to instance A, if the container moves to instance B, we just attach that disk to instance B and follows in, in such a way. Uh, but there's plugins that also can do the replication for you, so where you really have the container, you move the container and the, the data is synced to this new server. Um, there's network file systems, all sorts of stuff. So there's so many, uh, well, so many. There's already lots of um, 
yeah, uh, community-backed uh, plugins that will help you uh, migrate data from one from one instance to another uh, without uh, too much downtime. But it's still, uh, yeah, it's still in early stage. Like all those plugins, even those uh, companies backed by a lot of money, uh, there's always a big uh, line of warning on their websites. Like, don't use this in product, or at least be very careful when using this in production. So it's it's still early stage, and I think in the next couple of months years we'll see uh, great improvements that it just works out of the box but the primitives are there so you it's 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 um it's yeah it's getting there i'd say okay so if you if you want to get started with docker um say you have a server running and you think after this podcast hey docker sounds like fun i should have a go at it um the easiest way to do the 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 shared storage id is just to have host file systems mounted just keeping uh Staying away for a little while for the for the pluggable data types, mm-hmm. um, since that's probably if you're looking at just running Docker instances from a single host, um, a bit too complex to get just get started with Docker. Yeah, of course, of course. So uh, if yeah, to get started and say okay, you want to run your personal blog, what I would do is I'll run it on the same host and 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 indeed uh, sense or. Um, uh, persistent data th- uh, things, just write them to the volume. But it's not that Docker, uh, and again, it's, it's, it's the same uh, mantra that I, I said earlier, Docker didn't introduce this as a new problem. Like if I install uh, MySQL natively on a server and the server uh, goes bust, I lose the data also. The thing is just, again, that Docker made it so easy to, to play and, 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 and kick around applications that people might forget to move their data with the application. But, um, yeah, with, with all the tools that there are available, uh, we're, moving, we're moving to a world where even that's something we don't have to, uh, we're, we don't have to uh, be worrying about anymore. But right now it's, it's not the case yet. So indeed, you, when there's data involved, you still need to be a bit careful. Okay, where do I store the data? Because uh, if I just keep it lo- local in, within the container, I might lose it if I throw away the container. That, that's it. So you need to be careful with that. But other than that, it's just as you were working before. You install MySQL. Uh, it writes data to disk. If, it, if you're not careful with that disk, you, al- you also can lose the data. So. Yes, indeed. There's one particular data pattern that I've seen come up um, a lot when talking about Docker. Now, I wonder if you've heard about it and know the advantages of it. Um, by default, you could just mount a file system from the server within a Docker container. But I hear a lot of people that are using the file system inside another Docker container. Um, I'm not sure if that's a common practice or, or what the benefits would be with doing that particular uh, move? Yeah, so uh, indeed, uh, it's, well, it's, it, it, it kind of stems from the, the idea that everything uh, in an operating system can, and ideally for, for the, the, the Docker lovers, uh, needs to be containerized. And indeed, there was a time where I think even it was a best practice, but I, I, I'm not sure. I, I hope I, I'm not saying mistakes here, but they don't, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's it's not as heavily advertised anymore. But indeed, there was a time where people said, okay, I have a, a data container. So uh, actually just a, a very stupid, simple uh, container that, that, yeah, it doesn't even run processes or anything that you then attach uh, to your MySQL container that just runs the, the MySQL process. Again, to make things easier, uh, well, Everything that's that's containerized is easy to move around. So uh, that's I, I think that was the the base idea behind it. But it's been a while since I've I've I've, I've read about yeah, people doing that in production. So uh, with the, the whole volume uh, plugin system, uh, you get a much more finer grained control on what you do with the data. So I think everything is moving more in, into that direction and and and, and using the volume drivers. Um, natively to to be smart with the way you you manage your data okay so that that pattern is by the by now obsolete and we shouldn't be using it anymore or or if any case if you're still using it and it works everybody's happy um if you're just getting started with docker it's probably not the best idea to investigate that no 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 i think i mean again and i hope i'm not saying mistakes here because it's been a while since i really dig deep into that but I, I I wouldn't suggest it. Let's let's call it that way. Okay, clear. <laughs> um, besides Docker, there are also other container runtimes that are becoming more and more popular. Um, 
one of them is called RKT or however you pronounce it, Rocket, Rocket or um, what's the difference between Rocket and Docker? When should I use one over the other? So um, Rocket is uh, built or yeah, maintained uh, by uh, CoreOS. Uh, by the way, CoreOS is, is uh, one of the the new uh, Linux uh, operating system that evolved out of the whole Docker world, the Docker ecosystem, because basically within CoreOS, um, everything runs in a container. So there's just, when that kernel starts, there's a simple uh, process to run Docker, and then everything on top of that runs in Docker containers. So uh, when you start a Core, CoreOS uh, instance, you almost, your kernel is almost doing nothing. It just making sure that Docker can run, and then all the rest is, is uh, running Docker. Now, so they've been around yeah, almost as long as Docker, so they kind of evolved uh, uh, together and, and grow together. It's, uh, it's a separate company, also heavily backed uh, with a lot of money. Um, but at one point, uh, they kind of yeah, disagreed, and I, I, I'm, I'm not very familiar with the details, but... Uh, they had another vision on how containers uh, or containerization should be should be done, and uh, that's how uh, Rocket, so RKT, uh, RKT um, was built by them, built on the same principles. But I think it's I mean it's it's just in the details um, things on especially I mean, uh, not that it's not important, but on on security levels and and and. Uh, authorization and stuff like that they they do things differently uh, again I, I never really uh, worked with rocket so I, I can't uh, say the nitty-gritty details but what I can say like there was some you know, beef in the community between docker and rocket uh, when rocket was announced but um, over the months um, after that they sit together as as uh, as uh, grown-up people and then uh, what came out of those uh, conversations was the uh, Open Container Initiative, uh, which is uh, basically a manifest that they've written on how uh, containerization should be done. And there, uh, both Docker and Rocket is just an implementation of that manifest, basically. And it's, yeah, it's in the open source uh, community. It's backed by a lot of companies that all uh, have put their shoulders on it. And so this, this is the idea to keep the idea of containerization and how it should be done open source and not owned by any company because I think that was also one of the reasons why Rocket came out that I think CoreOS thought it was a bit Docker was a bit coming, becoming too too commercial uh, so they wanted to keep it open and so the underlying layer now the layer now the OCI uh, Open Container Initiative is, is kind of making sure that uh, containers will always be uh, open source so if tomorrow uh, Docker uh, closes its ecosystem. At least the primitives are open source, and someone can easily pick it up and and uh, build uh, a backwards compatible tool uh, on top of it. That's a very good uh, consensus that came out of it. Uh, something yeah. that in years to come will be happy that came to be in the end. Uh, exactly, that's exactly. a good thing indeed. Um, so Docker versus Rocket, it's it's a bit like Red Hat versus Ubuntu. It's flavors. Probably, it's, yeah, it's exactly. just about what you're used to, how you want to work. Okay. Um, going into the, the bit more of the, the practical details of Docker, um, if you're an existing organization and you haven't touched Docker yet, introducing it isn't usually something that happens in about five minutes. Um, it, it requires an effort for from the development team on the one hand, uh, the operations team because it's a new way of running your instances. You've been running this for a couple of years. How did you experience this? How, how what yeah. can we do to make the burden of Docker easier to overcome. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. So I'm the the CTO and technical co-founder. So basically, I could say whatever I want. Uh, now it's a it's a question, or I can use whatever I want. Uh, uh, but it's it's a question I get uh, a lot. And uh, usually, what I say is uh, when people say, "Well, yeah, uh, I work in." Let's say a bank, like, and it's it's heavily uh, regulated, and and I mean, yeah, just Docker is out of the question. I I cannot sell this. Uh, the first thing I say, well, it's it's kind of uh, Docker should be a conversation starter in a sense that if if you think it's going to be too hard to to implement uh, on an yeah organizational le uh, level, why don't you just start with uh, using it locally 
and you can uh, commit the Docker Compose file to your code repository. I don't think it will hurt anyone or anyone will look at you, hey, you're, you're doing something crazy here. So it makes it easy for you to just write the application and that's where you can get started. And usually what happens is that um, it starts evolving within the development. So one, one person starts with, with introducing a couple of simple things or, or just one application into Docker and then Usually, it's, 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 it's quite an easy sell to the rest of the team to say, hey, guys, uh, we're, we've been tossing around virtual images here uh, for, for, to run virtual machines, uh, so the gigabytes are, are, are flowing uh, around. Why don't we just use this Docker container? It's, it's like uh, 100 megabytes big. It's much easier to work with, and you get the exact same package as you do. You just have to install Docker. It's, it's a simple installer that you download. Docker, uh, you Docker Compose or Docker Run our application and it's running. So then it already spans out to a development team and that's, that's not a, a tough sell. And then obviously, yeah, depending on the organization, um, and I have to say I don't have much experience in big organizations uh, with, with large uh, uh, IT stacks, but then the, the idea of, of uh, pushing uh, or, or pushing the ID to an ops team saying, okay, um, basically we don't care anymore, uh, well, or we, we don't need you to make sure that uh, all the versions of all the dependencies we need are installed on that machine. Just make sure that you give us a machine or a couple of machines that are just able to run Docker. Uh, then we can push the applications, the application containers to you and it will run out of the box. You don't have to do anything. So basically what Docker has done is, is create this nice level of uh, or this layer of indirection between the operation side and the development side and i don't say it, it need to be two uh, silos it can just be the same person that that i that develops and then also is um, is responsible for for uh, running the production environment but it's just that that layer of indirection with on one side okay you're the person or you wear the hat that is responsible to um, to uh, provision a couple of instances, a couple of servers that are capable of running Docker. That's it. That's where your job stops. And then you put on the developer hat and you make sure that you have an application that runs within one container. Doesn't doesn't matter what gets installed in that container. It's just finally the, the, the artifact that comes out of what you've done is just one container. And then you can push that to your uh, infrastructure. And usually, but again, it's it, yeah, in some organizations, those decisions aren't easily made, no matter how easy they are. Um, but that's what I would would say. Okay, that that's the 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 or a good flow of of, of trying to convince people of the the simplicity of things. I like that flow. It it makes it indeed very simple to um, to convey the message from dev to ops. At the same time, I think um, speaking as mostly an ops person here, it, it shifts a bit of the. What, what we're used to doing with Puppet or Chef or Ansible, the, the config management aspect of things, we're used to um, configuring a database, configuring a web server. Um, that's within our realm of scripts and commands. And now developers are creating the Docker instances. Since at that point they're creating them, um, they're quote unquote responsible for the configuration. As, a, as an operations person, you're sort of giving um, control of your servers away, but that also means you're giving um, a bit of the, the the ability to intervene when there's an issue, um, modify configurations as you see fit. I think Docker sort of forces a very narrow um, cooperation between dev and ops because if they are two silos, this this idea of Docker can never work. Um, then operations gets something blindly, has to accept it as is, um, and pray that everything works. In reality, that doesn't work. So there needs to be a very tight cooperation between both teams. I think. Yeah, obviously, and and, and yeah, yeah. That's I mean, that's the the, the key of, of 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 all of it, I guess. Like uh, when we started with Docker, at that time we were looking at uh, a tool that makes conversation easy among everyone. Not that we had uh, big problems with conversation, but just you want something that's easy to understand. On all sides, even even business sides, even business people in our company kind of understand what Docker does because it's easy to explain to them. Like, you want to run two Java applications in separate versions, you can do that with Docker. That's that's usually how I explain that because they all somehow ever had to build in school a, a Java application. 
Um, and indeed, it, it, it's, it's true that from an ops perspective, um, part of the, the configuration is, is uh, well, I'm, I'm going to say it the, the way we experienced it. Like, uh, we're Ansible users, and, and we had kind of a big repository of Ansible scripts. By introducing Docker, indeed, like, that repository is still a fraction of what it, what it was before. That being said, it's not like you take away the problem. Still, your applications have to be able of finding each other, like service discovery, load balancing, those things still exist, those problems. You just push them a level higher. So it just becomes the question, okay, is it then really developer or ops that needs to be aware of this? But now you basically create a new problem, but one that's easier to solve, like service discovery uh, gets pushed a le uh, level higher, and there's other tools already available for that. So it's not like, okay, uh, the, the, the job of the, or the responsibility of an ops person is taken away. No, not at all. The, quite the opposite. It's, it's just, it, it, it's a tool that allows you to, to gain much more speed in terms of development, uh, deployment, sorry, or, or just in workflows uh, altogether. And now, what we've seen, for instance, okay, uh, two years ago, two and a half years ago, uh, when we did a deploy, it took about, I'd say, an hour to get something from, from yeah, being pushed uh, out of the development uh, into production. Because we worked with virtual machines, they have to be built, uh, they have to be thrown around to the right places, uh, they had to boot in a production environment, so we, we run application on different servers. Uh, we always brought in uh, new uh, servers from an image and then point all the traffic uh, from the old version to the new one. That took about an hour, uh, which was, I mean, everyone was cool with that and it worked really well. It was nicely automated. Now with Docker, uh, we deploy in a matter of minutes. And sometimes people complain uh, in our team that a deployment took more than five minutes. Like, <laughs> the problem has entirely shifted, and, and it's, it's a good thing, and, and, and they, they should be complaining about those things, and we should be uh, finding ways to improve that even further, but it, it, it has just allowed us to, to gain much more speed and to, uh, and, and to focus our, our or, or to put our focus on, on other problems in, in, in making life easier. So, as I said, service discovery, load balancing are now much, much uh, more interesting problems uh, to solve. And, and, and uh, yeah, both from an ops perspective as a, as a development perspective. Yeah, the speed of deployment that you mentioned is, uh, I think, uh, having the ability to deploy a fix within a couple of minutes mm -hmm. um, incentivizes having multiple deploys per day, ha having very small fixes with easier rollbacks, while if your deployment scenario, you mentioned it's taking an hour, um, I'm sure uh, enterprise folks are listening and thinking, oh God, I wish our deployment took an hour. Yeah. Um, if, if you're stuck in a deployment scenario where you can deploy once a month or once every two, three months, then you have this big waterfall of go lives. Um, if something breaks, then it's usually catastrophic. Um, Docker has the ability and, and incentivizes um, having smaller deploys, more often deploys. I think for, from, for developers too, that has to feel more alive, more um, having this momentum of everything's going forward, we are moving forward, our changes are going live. I think that's, that's for a development team, it has to feel powerful, a great way to, to work with it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, there's also almost no uh, yeah, uh, bottlenecks or, or, or um, points in a workflow where things can get blocked because... Uh, again, from an ops perspective, it's it's your job to to make sure that uh, basically, yeah, anyone can deploy containers with the click of a button. And yeah, from a developer perspective, when you have that ability to just press a play button or or yeah, uh, merge in a commit and it gets built and it gets pushed uh, in production, like uh, that's really the nice thing. Like again, that 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 level of indirection that gets created by, by running Docker containers. You, you don't have to worry too much about all the dependencies that, that uh, point to each other and, and mingle with each other and, and get problematic. No, you just make sure that on one hand you have a, an, e an easy uh, to understand uh, infrastructure and applications on the other hand, and you can really focus on, on, on the points where yeah, your application shines and, and not having to worry about uh, the infrastructure underneath. Yes, exactly. 
switching back a bit to the the, the configuration management um, point of view, you're using Ansible. It mm -hmm. doesn't really matter what what the listener might be using. Um, in in the end, Docker images or or the, the the Docker file that which builds the Docker images um, sort of becomes your config management. You're, you're shifting away from Ansible towards a more Dockerized uh, set of. Yeah. So the the thing is that uh, I mean. Don't get me wrong. There's still configuration management needed. You still need, uh, yeah, you still need that infrastructure layer underneath. So you still need nodes that can run Docker. You still need uh, application services that monitor those instances. Uh, and and ideally, I mean, some of them you can already put in a, a container. So then even your your processes, like for instance, we run. Uh, crons and everything is also in, in, in uh, Docker containers in our system. But you might uh, come in a situation where your, your Docker daemon is failing, like your server isn't serving uh, Docker containers anymore. Obviously, y you still yeah, need to be aware of that and, and, and have mechanisms in place to alert you on that or, or to try to, to uh, recover from that. So it's, it's not that Docker... Uh, like moves away all the responsibility of, of, of uh, the operation side. No, definitely not. So we, we still have Ansible scripts that do all this uh, monitoring, have watchdogs, have, have everything in place to make sure that the applications that are running on top of it are doing what they're supposed to do. And logs are pushed, for instance, to, to uh, uh, through Logstash into uh, Elasticsearch, uh, an Elk stack. So the the again, it's it's not like Docker takes away all the problems. No, the the problems that you had before are still there, but now it's easier to to think about those problems and solve those problems because they're more isolated, and you don't have to worry that some things are going to interfere with each other. Okay, I got you. <laughs> um, you've been running this Docker uh, for quite a while. So what's your flow from um, say? fixing a bugs inside of your code to having that code run in production? How does that pipeline look like? Yeah, so um, when uh, the way we work, yeah, it's uh, so yeah, Git uh, repository, so you, you make your fix uh, or your feature or whatever, um, you push it to a branch. Uh, we use uh, GitHub, but yeah, Git, uh, GitLab, uh, your own Git repository, it doesn't matter. So we push it in there. Um, we uh, ask, or we do a pull request uh, to uh, pull that um, that branch into our master branch. Uh, we ask the team uh, to do a code review. Uh, so people yeah, uh, put their remarks or uh, when everything is good, uh, you get a thumbs up. So you merge. At the time of the merge uh, to master our uh, build system, could be a Jenkins, but we use a third-party provider, CircleCI, but it doesn't matter. Like your build system can listen to those uh, to those changes. We'll see, ah, there's something new on master. So I'm going to run uh, or I'm going to build a Docker container, like check out the code, uh, build a, a Docker uh, image uh, from that new code, uh, run all the tests and the regressions and, and all sorts of stuff against this container. And then when everything is, is, uh, is, is green, uh, we push that, um, that Docker image to our Docker repository. So then it sits in the repository. It's available for basically whatever uh, environment to be picked up. And then still, that's something we, uh, we do manually, like the actual deploy of the image. We could automate it, but I, I like the, still the human fact. I don't want to take out the human of the, the whole workflow uh, just to be able to to be uh, to to roll back easily or, or to to monitor uh, uh, what's happening in production. So then, um, when that process is done, we get another notification, and then someone can just uh, run well at the click of a button uh, an Ansible deploy script, which is uh, fairly easy. That will take that image, or that will instruct our um, our uh, production servers to to uh, pull that uh, new image and run it on top of the, the old version. Okay, you mentioned the, um, the, the, the Docker registry, I think, where you publish your, your, your commit, your version of that particular um, 
Docker image. Uh-huh. That's something that you run internally, or, or are you using third-party services for that? So we, we use the Docker Hub, which is the official repository. It's a yeah, well, it's a, yeah, as probably the name says, uh, it's 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 like GitHub but for Docker images. Uh, so Docker Hub, uh, they have a similar pricing model where for open source or public contain uh, public images, uh, you can use them for free and. Uh, for private repositories, you yeah you have to pay a, a certain amount. So uh, we use that uh, we use that system. So Docker Hub uh, we pay for private repositories, um, but the Docker uh, registry. So Docker Hub is a Docker registry, just uh, the official one. But um, basically, the Docker registry code is open source, so you can run it uh, on premise uh, or yeah or anywhere where you want it to run. So you can. Uh, completely own uh, that process uh, and say, okay, we have our own registry, which is what actually most companies uh, are doing. Um, and that's, yeah, that's easy. Because, for instance, one of the, the downsides of, of, of using Docker Hub is that from time to time it might be slow. Just like, again, I, I, I like this, this uh, comparison with GitHub because uh, today was one of those days again. Like if GitHub is down, yeah, you're yeah, and and you you use it a lot. Like uh, you get uh, your your uh, technical teams will get very grumpy, and same happens from time to time to Docker Hub. It gets slow or uh, stuff like that, and and your deploys start yeah getting slow and building up. So uh, ideally, that's something you don't want and you want to improve. So uh, in our case, it's something we could indeed start taking in house. But for now, it doesn't luckily happen that much that it will. Uh, that would cover the cost of doing it all uh, on our own. But again, it's, it's uh, easily uh, installable uh, on-premise if, if you want to. Well, uh, just so it happens, uh, today GitLab, I think one of the, the biggest open-source competitors to GitHub or Bitbucket, mm-hmm. um, announced that their latest GitLab release, which is then the Git repo hosting, also has a Docker re- registry. Uh-huh. Uh, built inside of it. So if you're listening to this and want to play around and you happen to have a GitLab running, I think just updating to the latest version gets you um, integration between the, the Git repo on the one hand and a Docker registry on the other. So maybe this um, automation from code commit to building a Docker image um, could even be a lot easier on GitLab. Okay, yeah. that's, I wasn't aware. Purely that's, theoretical. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah they, uh, they tweeted about an hour ago, so it's really, really hot uh, of the press. <laughs> okay. um, Okay, um, looking back at, at your years of using Docker, obviously you, you start by following guides. Um, what are some of the best practices that you know of today that you didn't see from day one? Uh, let me That's think. a hard question, isn't it? Uh, oh. Well, you know, times are a bit different already because there, there are now uh, lots of, of, of good tools. Um, oh. Let me think. Well, one of the things is uh, I would definitely recommend is, is to keep things simple and 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 uh, build from. So, because uh, one of the the mistakes that that were made uh, in the in the beginning by probably uh, everyone coming out of uh, a, a yeah, vagrant kind of world, virtualization kind of world, was um, that everyone wanted to run uh, their 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 applications entirely in 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 one container and that's something you ideally don't want to do like uh, run as uh, in, the, in the example we gave like run your your application container in in uh, or run your application in one container uh, run your database in another container like don't cram it all in 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 one cuz yeah, then you create these kind of dependencies that you initially didn't or wanted to get fixed anyway um, so that's, I guess, the yeah, the, the biggest uh, tip I can give for someone uh, starting and, and coming out of a, a more virtualized uh, way, like keep applications separated uh, in different containers. That's the the yeah the best tip I can give, I'd say. Okay, this sort of comes back to um, what most people say a lot about Docker. The idea is to have one process running within one container, or at least that's the theory. A lot of people are discussing whether that's either a good one or multiple processes are allowed inside one container. What's your take on this? How should we, how many processes should we have or how many functions should one container ideally have? Yeah, so uh, yeah, that's indeed one of those other things that um, uh, yeah, have, have 
kind of created their own story and, and shouldn't have. Like in, in the beginning, and I shouldn't be saying the wrong thing, but in, in the beginning, everyone said like uh, one process in one container. That's, that's the golden rule. Now, in like that's actually not a good rule or that, that's something I, I wouldn't really recommend or say that that's what you should live by. No. The only thing is that um, like uh, Docker, when, uh, Docker, when it runs a container, will, um, will kind of look at the, the main process that it's running in, in it. So when you, when you run a container, you run a process. Uh, well, the first process that starts is, is, is um, monitored or is, yeah, the Docker daemon will, will have a look at it and see, okay, it's still running or it's not running. Uh, meaning that yeah, if you have other processes and, and your main process dies, uh, then yeah, they will they will stop uh, yeah with with the container. So that's that's uh, um, I mean yeah that's that, that's normal I guess. So but does that mean that you shouldn't be running um, uh, or that you should be running uh, shouldn't be running more than one process in one container? No, not at all. Like uh, we have applications that spawn or that have to spawn other. Uh, processes within the same container because that's just the way they work like it's it's, it's kind of a distributed way of, of uh, doing certain things there's no problem at all with that but uh, just keep in mind that it's, it's the main apparent process that gets monitored and and uh, that's what make will make the docker daemon uh, kill the container if, if there's something wrong with that but yeah like how many processes can you run yeah as much as you want basically Basically, what what comes down to what works in your organization and using a bit of uh, well, common sense. Yeah, exactly. But it, it's just more like uh, as a high level rule or tip, I'd say just keep logical components in different containers. So uh, your application in a container, your DB in a container, your log shipper in a container, like those are all logical components that are important in my application, which I don't want to have dependencies between. Uh, they just need to connect to each other, but no, there's no actual dependency. Like my application can still run if uh, my log shipper is down, uh, and or even my application can provide some service if the DB is down. Okay, it won't be it won't be ideal, but at least it can stay up. Like all those components, try to keep them, um, yeah, like logically separated. I think that's the best summary you can give: one component per container. Exactly. That makes more sense than having one single process because, like you mentioned, one component doesn't necessarily mean one process. No. That's a good idea. Okay, um, as, as a closing topic, um, what other open source tools, besides Docker, obviously, um, do you think the listeners should keep an eye on? Okay, yeah, so this is probably, uh, um, yeah, I need to keep it short because probably a topic we can do uh, a whole other um podcast on but uh, one of the, the the tools that have popped up uh, quite recently are, are orchestration uh, orchestration tools so tools that uh, allow you to uh, manage a, a uh, I'd say production infrastructure easier uh, in a sense that um, they will uh, or they will uh, put all all of your infrastructure in one big bag and um, one of those tools uh, for instance, is Apache from the Apache uh, ecosystem, Apache Mesos, um, and similar, although it's not exactly the same. But uh, Google's uh, Kubernetes is another one, and then yeah, uh, Docker Swarm is also within the same uh, space. So these are orchestrators where basically you can um, define your applications, which technically, but in yeah, depends on what tool you use of the three I just mentioned don't necessarily have to be containers, but they're just natively built with the idea of containers in mind. And you can just define, okay, uh, run my application container at least uh, 10 times in my, somewhere in my infrastructure. I don't care where. Um, with this uh, provisioning of memory, like one gigabyte of uh, memory per container, a certain CPU priority, uh, some network provisioning, like at least uh, one Mbit uh, per container, uh, eventually also a volume that you can define, like I, I need uh, this amount of data uh, available for my container. So you can set all those constraints and then you shoot that, which is basically your application configuration in one of those tools. So Mesos, Kubernetes uh, or Docker Swarm. And 
those tools will uh, define for you or will decide for you, okay, where am I going to run those? Where do I have resources available? Um, and I will run them and make sure they always keep running. So if one goes down, I will uh, bring up a new one to be sure that the, the state of your application is always defined as, or is always, uh, your application is always in the state that was defined in that uh, particular configuration file. Um, those are up and coming tools these days because yeah, everyone now has run Docker on its, uh, on its local machine uh, and maybe pushed some containers uh, with some scripts to, to, um, to a production server. But if you really want to go uh, yeah, like full on uh, Docker with all your applications in your full infrastructure, you're going to need one of those tools to, to manage the, the underlying infrastructure or basically yeah, take away the management but make sure that uh, your infrastructure is, is available as one big, one, big, yeah, one big computer, I'd say, like one big operating system, like your data center becomes the operating system and you can toss uh, Docker containers uh, at it and, and they run wherever, I mean, you don't really care, you don't really have to know, but they run as you want them to run within that infrastructure. Totally Docker on steroids. Exactly. Yeah. And I think in, in, in that scenario, the, the one where um, you just throw hardware at it and look at it as one big computer, um, having some kind of um, storage provider or driver um, is mandatory slash necessary. Uh, you can't really rely on a single node anymore. So that sort of ties in with what you said at the beginning. Um, where the yeah. Docker storage providers yeah. really come in handy. So the way we did it was uh, initially to just have stateless uh, applications in that system. So we, we didn't have uh, to come up with a solution for volumes, but now the whole volume plugin and, 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 and third-party uh, uh, volume plugins uh, system ha has been growing. Um, and now it indeed will also allow us to, to think uh, in terms of, okay, uh, where, like, we run uh, Redis. By the way, uh, Redis, MySQL, all those things, we, we run them in Docker containers, but on fixed hosts. And that's ideally indeed something uh, we, we also want to yeah, make more flexible and just say, okay, we shoot them within the same Mesos, Kubernetes, Docker Swarm, whatever, like, but with a certain volume constraint so that we know that our data isn't going away or is at least following uh, our, data, uh, our, um, our uh, uh, database uh, container. Uh, so yeah, but again, it's, you know, they all say it's, it's too early for production, but we're already experimenting with it and, and want to move uh, from not only uh, stateless applications, but also stateful applications within the same uh, piece of infrastructure. Okay, that's fascinating. Niels, um, I think this is time to wrap up. I want to thank you very much for your time and a very interesting conversation. Um, if people would like to get in touch with you, how can they find you online? Uh, so yeah, uh, Twitter and the more uh, is probably the easiest way, I guess. Yeah. Okay, I'll add all of those links in the show notes. Okay, um, cool. Just a sort of a, a mandatory plug here. If you like listening to this episode, um, I would really appreciate leaving a feedback or a rating um, in iTunes. I know it's iTunes, but apparently if you're podcasting, that's about the only uh, dictionary that really matters. Um, I'll add links in the show notes as well. So if you have five minutes, um, I'd appreciate it if you could just write a small summary. Um, Hit those five stars and uh, have a big thanks on my part. Okay, Niels, uh, thank you very much. I think you mentioned it earlier. Um, the idea of orchestrators is a topic on its own, and I would happily have you as a guest when we discuss that. All right, thank you. Thank you so, for having me. Take care, Niels. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.